And just a disclaimer, we are not doctors. Information shared in this podcast is not meant as medical advice. We do not intend to diagnose, treat, or cure. We intend to delineate knowledge for educational purposes only. Welcome to Native Trees and a Bag of Weeds podcast. It is a lovely day. I'm your boy, Jared Wade. And I'm Messy. And Miss Messy is here, and we are here to talk about native trees and weeds. Uh, while she digs around in her herbs. Oh, I forgot I had all these calendula seeds. Oh. So I can plant those in the garden. Nice. Sweet. Well, what you been up to, Messy? Drinking. Drinking? What you drinking on tonight? Sleeping. Sleeping. What you sleeping on tonight? <laughs> I didn't get enough sleep today. Yeah. It's been... We were recording on a Monday, and it has been the Mondayest of Mondays. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm drinking wine. Yeah. Which I'm happy I can drink again. So, when I first started tasting wines, white wine always gave me a headache. Mm-hmm. Like, almost immediately. And so then I started drinking red wines instead. I love a good Pinot Noir. Um, but then I ended up with um, complex migraines and narrowed down my triggers. Um, the weather, like a big drop in pressure will do it. Fluorescent lighting and red wine. So I'm like, well, both wines are no longer an option. So that's when I started mixing up cocktails and things. And then this year, it's flip-flopped. <laughs> like, this year, I feel hungover even if I've had half of a cocktail. Oh, yeah. I, like, immediately get a headache, and then I wake up the next morning feeling like I was, like, drunk, even though I hardly drank anything. And at first, it was vodka was safe, and now I don't know what my, I don't know what my body's doing. It's very weird, but I was like, you know what? All these things are giving me a headache. I had wine, I had like some leftover Riesling from a sangria or something that I had made yeah. for Christmas or something. I don't know. Anyway, I drank some of it and so far it hasn't bothered me, which is fine because I really like Riesling. Yeah, this so that works out. The Kung Fu Girl Riesling, which is one of the ones I've found out that I really, really liked before I decided it gave me a headache, so... So far, this is safe. Though I did have two tequila beverages yesterday that did not bother me. This. I know you had a couple cocktails last I did. night. Did I had two? Um, they were kind of like mojitos oh, yeah. with tequila, because well, I have a lot of um, mint. Oh, yeah. So it was like a. You made me one too, but it was like was, a minty margarita, basically. Yeah. My blueberry thing was good. Yeah, I made one of those too. Then we drank those while playing a board game about wildcraft. That board plants. game is really cool, and <laughs> I need to post it to the Instagram. It's called Wildcraft. Oh, yeah. And it's like a like a shoots and ladders mm-hmm. kind of thing, but it's a cooperative. Like, there's no... It's not necessarily, like, competitive. Yeah, it's not a competition. It's a yeah. journey. And it comes with this really cute little story... Uh, about going to pick huckleberries for grandma and like i don't know is there really yeah. then along really the way like you can land on like something happens to you so you get like cuts and scrapes or bruises or a tummy or ache or a bee headache. sting poison ivy yeah and you start the game with four herbs mm-hmm. in your basket ha- in your 
pouch or whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever you're toting with you up the mountain. And, um, you can use those things to fix whatever, like, like if you've got plantain in your bag and you've got cuts and scrapes, you use the plantain to help your cuts and scrapes and yeah. you get to advance. Or if you don't have what you need, you hold on to the boo-boo card, but then other people, if they get a cooperation card, they get to be like, oh, hey, I have some plantain to help you out. So you help each other out, get to the huckleberry patch, and then you pick enough huckleberries for yeah. everybody, and then you go back down the mountain, yeah. and you try to make it back to Grandma's house before the sun goes down. It's really cool. We played super it cute. Like the last two nights. It is, and it's been really fun talking to the kids about it. And, and like learning. even my son, his friends came over yesterday and even he was like, Oh yeah, come play this game with me. <laughs> so I love, uh, being the, the weird plant. Yeah. Mom. We even took one of the kids on a walk with us on our hunt for Marils. Yeah. We were pointing out, Oh, Hey, there's wild geranium and like pointing out the different things that were in mm -hmm. the game as we found them on our walk. And we like, do y'all remember what this is good for? And oh, yeah. it was a lot of fun. And then, just being able to point them out in the wild to kind of help them put their knowledge to actual plants instead of little icons on a card. Yeah. And it was really neat. It was really, really neat. Really, really neat. So, um, as we dive into tonight, we will basically pretend we have landed on yeah, one of Yeah, both the, the things spots. that we're going to talk about tonight, we're stepping out of the kitchen cabinet, which if you listened to last week's episode, you know what we're talking about. We're going to yeah. mix it up a little bit. Your boy's going to go first. So we're starting with native tree, native vine, native shrub, native Plant, bush. Native it's, plants. It does all the things. It does. Um, but, <laughs> but they're both in that game. Yeah, but this actually takes us back to at least maybe the beginning of my journey into this with June. You. Yeah, June. Yeah, you've got quite the relationship with what you're covering tonight. Yes. Um, and... Luckily, this segment I, is kind of what made you a believer. Yes, so it one hundred percent is, and that's why I said that's like the beginning of my journey into what you were getting into. He thought I was crazy up until this point. I didn't think you were crazy. No, but I was a little cuckoo for cocoa puffs. I do love some cocoa puffs. <laughs> Clearly, um, and I was a little cuckoo for poison ivy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I learned a lot studying poison ivy. And I'm kind of excited to talk about it. But what had happened was, so I'm supposed to say that more gangsta. See, what had happened was. What had happened was, um, we took a vacation to North Carolina. We went to the, um, it was the Asheville area botanical gardens. Yes. And that, place that was is, a great place to oh, learn about magnificent. native. Magnificent. Everything's labeled. Plant. They got everything you could possibly think of. Yeah. The majority like, of it was native. We haven't been to our botanical gardens in a while, which we really need to do that, especially being as we're starting to partner up with them. Yeah. But um, from what I can remember, it's a lot of ornamental Yes, it's very, stuff. very... <laughs> this. Not in a disrespectful way. It's a, it's a very, like, old lady gardening. That's what I was just about yeah. to say. Like, it reminds me... Your roses, me, your azaleas, these, your different cultivars. Right. All these ladies around here with their daylilies and their amarillos and yeah. their rose bushes and their rose gardens. Like, it's that kind 
of botanical gardens, yeah, whereas is, this one in North Carolina was specifically to plants native to the Appalachians. Yes, which that's one of the things that they reached out to me about is they got some new people on board trying to revamp it and they're wanting to really lean in to the native side of things. Which is nice. Yes. I love it. Um, so I'm going to help promote that. I enjoy the ornamental stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's it's beautiful. Great, but it needed more. It wasn't a good balance. Yeah. And we're so rich with native plant diversity in this area yes, that yeah. it really needs to be highlighted. Um, but so anyway, we're at this botanical gardens and we're walking and um, I made, we made a TikTok video. That was my first TikTok video. That was, that that was like, what made you go viral. Yeah. Yeah. That was what began my TikTok semi because y'all, amateur we, level success. If you don't want to go back and hunt the video, it ended up, people like controversy, especially on yes. TikTok. Like most of the time, if you go viral for something besides a little trend, it's because there was controversy involved. And this vine, so we ended up taking like this little bitty, I mean, like maybe six inch trail. It was yeah, a teeny was, tiny little trail. It was not part of the actual trail. No, but it was a trail enough that we were intrigued enough to go up it. And I come face to face, like, and of course, I've got, we've got our apps out and everything we come, oh, what is this? Oh, what is that? And so we're just looking at everything. And I come face to face with this vine, this massive vine with massive leaves and berries coming off of like a tree branch that was fallen over the path. And to be clear, by massive, she means like, like almost elephant ear. Like massive. Yes, massive. And I said, ooh, what are you? Because it had berries and these big pretty leaves and my app told me poison ivy. And I was but, like, that's not right. And see, this is before I had an app. So my instinct when I want to know what something is, is I like touch it and smell it. So you didn't do that. I rubbed on it. No. No. I didn't grab that one. No, because it was right in front of me. You were behind me. Yeah. But I was I said, walking That's in not the what that is. And I was looking more like trying, you know, do what I do when I use my app. I don't just rely on it. I go to Google and I do a little bit. This is what it says it is. Let me look up other pictures and other examples and descriptions. And as he, I'm doing that, he looks down. And sure enough, the path is lined <laughs> with much smaller, obvious yeah. poison ivy. Stereotypical poison at ivy. At his ankles. Yeah, and and I was hiking that day in a hey dude shoes and no socks yeah. and shorts. Yep. So my little anklets were exposed. <laughs> but the TikTok video was actually about what we found intermingled with the poison ivy. Yeah, so, um, which we'll definitely dive into it later, but, I mean, this is what the whole episode is about. Um, I said, hey, I learned a cool fact about poison ivy and the plant that cures the irritation, mm -hmm. jewelweed. They usually grow together. So immediately we go on the hunt. There has to be some jewelweed around here if there's such a large poison ivy plant and sure enough at the bottom of the trail it was like a little hill that we were climbing at the bottom of this trail was just slew of jewelweed yeah tons of it tons of it and rubbed it on his ankles we didn't have any problem with it for the rest of the vacation no and we were there for four days yeah no more irritation from the poison ivy and no from that moment no irritation even after we got home and then here's where i ran into my issue is as we'll learn here shortly, poison ivy, the oil, um, clings to whatever it touches. And it basically the only way to remove it is with a degreaser. Like it can stay, 
it can survive contact on pets, clothing, cloth, um, things of that nature for like years. Um, so what I did was I didn't wear the hay dudes like the rest of the time on vacation. And then we get home and like a week goes by and I just slip them on one day to go to work. And the poison ivy had remained on them. But we didn't know that. So he continues no, to wear that. the shoes for like a whole week before we finally realize why he's having this flare up. Yes. And it was a good one. And his, because he, the continuous exposure to the Urishraw that was on the shoes, y'all, his feet were like balloons. <laughs> yeah, it was. That I was, could have won a photo contest it was with that rash. so bad. Your and I'm not even exaggerating. so bad. And I didn't have any calendula on hand at the time. This was very early in my herb journey. And so I did not have much of anything. I had some stuff, but nothing... I ended up finding like a facial steam or something, yeah, something that my mom had given me that had some calendula in it. And I made yeah. it like a soak for your feet. And that made the biggest difference. Yes. But I didn't have any more calendula mm -hmm. to do anything with. So, But we ended up, it, it we got over it. We yeah. got over it. And I've been very, I've been much journey. more cautious with poison ivy ever since. Um, have you ever had poison ivy? No. You haven't. Have you ever touched it? Yeah. Oh. So I'm apparently <laughs> not sensitive to poison ivy. Yeah. So I remember thinking that as a kid um, at one of the churches I grew up at, we were all playing outside or back behind the church or whatever. And then somebody's like, oh no, there's poison ivy. And then, you know, boys, teenage boys being teenage boys, one of them was out there rolling in it or whatever. And I was like, huh, I don't think I got in any of it, even though I had been in the same area because I didn't have any irritation. And, like, it was enough of an exposure that my mom made sure we had chamomile, ca calamine, calamine lotion. calamine lotion, that fun pink stuff, um, just in case, because I think both me and my brother had been exposed. But never got any irritation from that. And I've, you know, found it in places like in my grandparents' backyard or, or places like that and just never had any irritation even when there was suspected exposure. And so... I don't remember if it was during, was then that I tried it or I don't know. I think a couple times after finding, it. yeah, you tried I've like it here too. intentionally since. exposed myself. Yeah. Like I think at one, one time I picked it and rubbed it on my arm. Yeah. I remember like, that. That was, yeah. that was here. I specifically picked it and rubbed some on one of my arms and nothing. Yeah. So that's fun. Yeah. And my first exposure was, I was probably 11 or 12 ish. Um, we used to go down to this swimming hole on Holmes Creek called Rock Bottom. And they had this big rope swing from the tree. And you know, I had to climb up the tree. Mm -hmm. And I got into some there. And But I've always had sensitive skin anyway. So yeah, I'm just, you're yeah, allergic not, to your own blood. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, so anyway, if you can't tell, we're going to dive into the depths of poison ivy or more specifically the toxicodendron family which means toxic obviously poisonous and dendron means tree so poisonous trees and they kind of have their own little subgroup their own little genus that they live in um but we'll for most of it i'll be focusing on a lot of facts on poison ivy but it really carries over to um your poison sumac your poison oak your lacquer tree and wax tree because they all share the same characteristic, which is Urashaw. Mm -hmm. And it's all based off of that. But I will more than likely be using poison ivy as a reference, just because that seems to be what most people are more familiar with. 
And then I will follow up um, with the quote and definitely quotes uh, cure for your <laughs> yeah. shawl. Quote treatment. Um, Aid. And I'm going to go ahead and let you know it's a very interesting what I found. Really? Yes. Oh, well, cool. Well, let's see what I found. Yeah. Then we'll dive right into yours. This is going to be like a continuous, a bombastic episode. So let's see what happens. Um, I'll start with a quote from the late, great John Smith. Not a huge fan. Um, but he actually remembers... He John Smith, the Pocahontas dude. I thought that's who we were talking yeah. about. Okay. But when he was over on exploring on over on a journey. But it's that's such a like that's the most white name. <laughs> <laughs> so it really could have been any other historical There's probably white like dude. Five billion John Smiths out there, but the notable John Smith Is that you know Pocahontas. from Pocahontas. Okay. Um, he actually documented running in with poison ivy and talked about how it was such an interesting plant, yet it was quite vicious. Uh -huh. And he says that after a while, the blisters pass away of themselves without further harm. Yet because for the time they are somewhat painful, the plant hath got itself an ill name, although questionless of no ill nature. So meaning that the plant doesn't intend harm, that there is good in the plant, there are benefits of the plant, there are good things to get from the plant. Just probably wear gloves, <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, like I said, they are in the Toxicodendron family, the Greek meaning um, coming from toxicos, which means poison, and dendron meaning tree. Um, so this, it does include trees, shrubs, vines. It kind of grows in an assortment um, variety of things. It is a genus of flowering plants in the sumac family, which we talked about last week, Anacurdiaceae. Um, and at one time, they were actually part of the same genus, which was the Rus genus that we talked about, that the... the fruiting sumac mm -hmm. is in and then they were actually separated out from that um in around 1930-ish um because they were toxic so they took the things in the roost family that were toxic and separated them out into the toxicodendron um genus rather than the roost genus and this genus um includes poison sumac poison ivy poison oak the asian lacquer tree and the wax tree um, of those, the sumac, the, po the poison sumac, poison ivy, and poison oak are native to North America, where the lacquer tree and wax tree are going to be Asian. Um, the North American members of this genus include um, the ivy and the oak. And poison ivy itself is not even really an ivy. Mm -mm. Um, but it is called an ivy because it grows in a lot of circumstances, like an ivy yeah, real would. Viney. Real viney, mm -hmm. really aggressive, kind of takes over. It can mat out the ground or grow up a tree or grow up the side of the house. Um, so it acts like a an ivy when it is actually not. Um, poison ivy itself has 30 to 40 recognized species and does adapt and morph depending on its environment. Some climb and some, for no explained reason, des decide not to climb anything <laughs> and they can't figure out why which leads me to the controversy that was in that tiktok video was we had so much backlash because i posted the video of the humongous burying mature yeah it brand. was this it, i mean the vine that was wrapped around this tree limb was like the size of it, like a quarter in diameter mm -hmm. it was very very thick and then you had this big branch of it that was sticking straight off uh and like i mean like pointing at my face 
and with these big leaves and berries. And I didn't believe it was poison ivy when I first yeah, it didn't look until I did a little bit of research and yeah. realized poison ivy does in fact make berries. And that video went viral because I had hundreds of comments. That's not poison ivy. You yeah. don't know anything. That's not poison. I'm like, I'm just telling One you. One guy even told us it was elderberry. And I was like, please, for the love <laughs> of everything, do not eat these berries. Except you. You can eat one of those berries. <laughs> I didn't know that. But not you. It's, not it's you. No, not... I'm talking about the guy that was oh. being controversial. He's um, allowed to. But yeah, it's not elderberry. Um, it was 100% a vine. Elderberry is not a vine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was fun to find out. Apparently, old enough poison ivy will fruit. Yes, and it's white berries, just like the, mm -hmm. you know. I said the difference in your sumacs are going to be red berries eat white berries don't. Um, the poison ivy poison it's going to produce white berries. But I, I found it so cool that it kind of morphs into whatever it wants to be. So there's leaf variations, there's vines, there's shrubs, there's bushes, there's trees. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of, depending on where it's at and what it has available to it, just decides to do whatever the heck it wants to do, which leads to a lot of confusion as far as identification. Um, so as far as identification, you know, the big classic traditional rule of leaves of three, let it be, which isn't 100% always, like, leaves of three is always going to be, how do I phrase this? Poison ivy will always have leaves of three. Mm-hmm. But things with leaves of three aren't always poison ivy. So, you yeah. you know, if you're going on the safe side. Like blackberry, for instance. Yeah, and uh, if, if you find Virginia creeper, which is the one that's commonly confused with poison yeah. ivy, which is leaves of five. But if you find a younger vine with new growth on it, it's usually in, in leaves of three. Mm -hmm. um, so, on the safe side, yeah, leaves of three, don't touch it. it's not going to hurt you to leave Virginia creeper <laughs> just, alone because you mistake it for poison leave ivy. It, alone. it might hurt you if you don't leave poison ivy alone because you mistake it for Virginia creeper. Absolutely. <laughs> but when it comes to leaf identification itself, like some people differentiate poison oak from poison ivy because the leaves are a little more oak shaped rather than I can see that than single load. But even some poison ivies have little bitty lobes on the leaves. They could be huge leaves. They could be tiny leaves. Yeah. Um, another thing that I found that I've taught the kids as well, one telltale sign to look for is if it is vining, like say up a tree, if it has these hairs, if it's a hairy vine, yeah, that's one key indicator that it's um, more than likely poison ivy, or at least in the. So are those like little roots where it's like attaching itself it's, to the tree? It, is what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, it attaches itself to the tree, which yeah. I think is freaking awesome. It yeah. just blows my mind that it does that. Like it, it's cool. Yeah. Because most other vines don't do that. Mm -mm. But it has a way, it's like the Spider-Man yeah. of vines. And it just like attaches itself. Um, It has become, oddly enough, very popular in Japan and the United States to bonsai poison ivy. Interesting. So you have it in your little pot. And it would be a cool bonsai because of the so many different variations. Yeah. Depending on what you get. And it, uh, it's a whole hobby. That people have taken up bonsai. I don't recommend ivy. that you bonsai poison ivy. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. Um, I, I might take up that hobby, but please, <laughs> for, you do not. Yeah. I, I have don't have enough calendulate in the world to help you bonsai poison ivy. <laughs> and I, I have left the big vine on the oak tree by the pond just because it does have so much wildlife um, benefit to it. Um. And it was a good learning opportunity to help, you know, teach yeah. the kids what it looks like. Yeah, I'm not going to remove it. It's to native. respect it. It's and... benefit to the wildlife. And everybody's like, why would you leave it? I'm like, why would I remove it? Like, instead of 
removing the harm from my kids. We're going to teach the kids, hey, don't touch this. Yeah. And I think that you're benefiting the wildlife, and I think you're benefiting your kids more by teaching them rather than... Just to simply respect it instead yeah. of yeah. get rid of it. I feel the same way about snakes, and a lot of people disagree with me, too. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. Um, there's actually a community in Columbia, California that holds an annual poison oak show that includes decorative arrangements of poison oak as well as crafts and jewelry made from poison oak. And there's even a best photograph award for a photo of your rash. Oh my gosh, that's what you meant. I didn't know where that was going when you mentioned the photo contest. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. And really, there was a lot of quotes, and I, I read this whole article about this festival. And uh, they have a point in that it is a very beautiful plant. Like, if you look at that poison ivy mm -hmm. in the fall, it turns, like, bright red and orange. It's some of the prettiest fall foliage you can get. And then the way that it vines and the way that it acts, it's a very beautiful plant, which I'm sure is why a lot of the early um, explorers and settlers learned about it the hard way. <laughs> They're like, oh, I need this in my garden. <laughs> nope, no, you don't. Woo -woo, let's get rid of it. Um, and like I was saying, they are very, very beneficial plants to the ecosystem um, from landscape use, as they have been used historically across the world. They were actually poison ivy and stuff exported out to Europe um, with those explorers with care um, and added to some gardens up until they were like demonized at some point in history yeah. where people was like, they're toxic, get rid of them, and then... It was a whole mess. Um, but deer eat them. Birds feed on the leaves and the berries and the bugs that come to them. It's a, it's a very, very beneficial plant to leave in the ecosystem as long as you take the precaution to not be frivolous with it and your skin. Um, so diving into a little bit of the history of poison ivy per se. And I actually... I worked through this article that was very thorough, and if you'd like to check it out, it's called No Ill Nature. Based on that quote from John Smith, it is uh, The Surprising History and Science of Poison Ivy and Its Relatives um, from the Science History Institute. And I pulled a lot of my information from there. It was a very, very interesting article that goes even more in depth than I'm going to go. I'm just going to kind of cover the, the gist of things. Um, but dating back to 1784, Horticulturist William Bartram collected a list of 220 American trees, shrubs, and herbs to bring back to Europe and sell them. Because just like any botanist would do, you find a cool plant that nobody else has, mm -hmm. you want to sell it. Um, and on this list was poison ivy and poison sumac. These plants do, in fact, have benefits, though they require a little more care for human use. Um, and even earlier than that, by 1640, travelers and settlers had sent back poison ivy berries to be planted in the English gardens at Kew, which was the gardens of the Faculty of Medicine in Paris. And this is where it kind of emerged in Paris. They wanted to research the benefits of this plant. Mm -hmm. um, because kind of as we've learned, the majority of plants have some sort of benefit right. in one way or another. Um, by the 18th and 19th century, many physicians were experimenting with poison ivy in medicine. And they logically concluded that something that has such an impact on the body must be useful for something. And that makes a lot of sense, too. Yeah. If you look at anything that has any sort of sap or oil or causes such a reaction whenever it touches you, like it's a powerful plant, how do we harness this power for good? Because it... Oh, I uh, like that. Yeah. 
it obviously has the potential to do something. Like it's harming us, we're just using it wrong. Yeah. We're just not using it correctly. So this kind of led them to follow that rabbit hole and see what are the benefits to this powerful plant. Um, obviously while wearing gloves. <clears throat> well, this leads us to the French army physician, Andre Egance Joseph Dufresnoy. You did that pretty good. I have, yes. <laughs> I studied well for this podcast. It spent me, I spent like 24 hours just getting this name down. Gotcha. Yeah. It shows. Good job. <laughs> well, he touted his love for the plant and he gave lectures on it. And he one time rubbed poison ivy. I think I mentioned this in last week's podcast. Um, he one time rubbed poison ivy vigorously on his hands to remove a sore. And while he did break out and was irritated due to the ivy, once that was healed, so was the previous sore. He then began boiling down ivy leaves in pretty strong doses for internal use. And while it would upset a stomach and increase sweating and urination, he did claim that it had effects on skin maladies, um, and even to some with paralysis of the legs, like it was healing all kind of junk in his patients by boiling down the oil out of the poison ivy and taking it internally. Yeah. Like you might go through some night sweats and puking, but whatever you got going on is going to be so gone. This is one of it. those herbs that has side effects. Yes. Yes. Um, well, during the French Revolution, it was his fondness of this plant that would have him sent to the guillotine. Oh. Yeah. That's rude. A note he had written talking about his dear Arus, remember this was originally mm -hmm. in the Arus genus, was intercepted and he was then arrested for conspiring with Russia. <laughs> then he was able to explain that he was talking about the plant, <laughs> not the foreign troops. <laughs> they thought he was talking about Russia. Oh my God. Could you imagine being on the guillotine for some poison ivy and be like, it's not what you think? Wow. <laughs> After his death in 1801, his skeptical brother dug up and destroyed all of his poison ivy plants. That's rude. I know, right? What kind of skepticism you have to have to just because destroy it, somebody's it was, plants? By this point, it was demonized as a harmful plant. And he was like the guy pushing the good news of poison ivy, saying, give it a chance. Let's figure it out. Let's yeah. not burn it. Let's not get rid of it. Let's figure out how to harness it. Then his brother obviously did not agree with that. So once he passed away, his brother got Here's rid of thing. all Here's my thing. If it ain't hurting you, just leave it alone. Yeah, exactly. And if it can hurt you, just leave, leave it, it alone. alone. If somebody else is using it to like heal ours, paralysis. We know where ours is on the property, the ones that we found. We found a very large area of it yesterday in our trek through the woods. Um, but it's in the woods. Yeah. I, you know what we did? We didn't touch it. We left it alone. And then we went about our merry way. We we identified it and said, oh, there's some poison ivy, Jared. Be careful. And then we just kept going. Yeah. Like, it's not really hurting anything and it actually benefits the ecosystem. So why? Like, you know what we did do? We did pull up some kudzu because that's yeah. not native and invasive. And while it is nutritive... Um, I did not want it overtaking that part of the woods. It's a very not. pretty clear area of the woods. With the that biggest is, magnolia tree I've oh, ever seen so in my pretty. life. It was a little overgrown with privet, but not as bad as the other areas of our yeah. of the woods that we have. It was still pretty clear and easy to walk mm -hmm. through. Um, and I would hate to see it just overgrown with kudzu. 
down because uh, yeah sounds really sad so um but yeah just yeah. the poison ivy's not hurting anybody and then what we got out here by the pond is one tree out in the middle of <laughs> yeah if you touch that itself, you've done it on purpose right and it's just <laughs> climbing up the tree like it's not doing anything yeah. to anybody so just yeah. leave it alone well mr uh Andre Agonse, Joseph Dufresnoy's brother, did not believe that way, so he got rid of all his plants. And yeah, well, Mr. he's Dufren a Dufresnoy. Yeah, Mr. Dufresnoy was gone at this point, and he was the the lead man leading the charge for poison ivy and the research on poison ivy for doctors around the world. He was the guy, and now he's gone, and now his plants are gone. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing. If it causes that much, like I get it. I get that there's benefits, but there's mm. benefits behind suffering. Yes. Which I get sometimes is necessary. Um, but aren't there other things that you can use that don't have the same irritative, irritative? But would that be as powerful? I mean, and to, yeah, calendula is yeah. just as powerful at healing a sore without causing massive irritation on your hands that you can't use because yeah. now they've swollen and rashed up so That's bad. True. But again, in this world too, when you're looking at, at plant benefits, a lot of times it's, it's nice to know what your options are Yeah. in case one's not available. I get that. Yeah. And I would be curious that since I'm not sensitive, like I don't develop a rash, yeah. would I get the same benefits? Uh, I don't know. Like, does it work in the way that I just get nothing from? Yeah. I'll be honest, the urushal, or would I get the benefits without having the irritation? I'm not sure because a lot of this, I might have to do my own research. Yeah, I I read some scientific um research papers on this, but I'm going to be honest. A lot of it was way above my head with the wordage they were using. <laughs> um, so I was able to like scroll to the conclusion uh -huh. <laughs> and figure out what was up. But when you're reading about like the MHB two to the fourth power of this la da 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 da, da reacted and yeah, I'm like, ah. a lot of that stuff is really good for like scientists that are studying specific yeah. things. When I'm looking at studies, of course, conclusions are important. You want to know what it gleaned from it, but you also want to know like sample How? size. Yeah, and like the methodology is really important to determine if this was a. Um, reputable study mm -hmm. a study worth its results yeah so yeah well anyway all those specific scientific terms aren't going to make sense to nah. most people yeah i try to do i try to get the summary then i try to scroll through it and get a gist of what's happening then yeah. i go to the conclusion um but even in some of these like it was just all scientific -y terms that i was just like whoa scientific -y. yeah you know big words like that i can handle <laughs> <laughs> So after the death of Mr. Dufrenzoy, and after the death of his beloved plants by the hand of his brother, um, throughout the years after his death, the majority of research by Westerners, because poison ivy, you know, is North American, it had made its way through this, and now the study started in Paris, and now the research was kind of making its way back around. Um, so Westerners focused on the use, its use as a lacquer. For like varnishing, wood. yes, which was anciently used by China. That's what the lacquer tree, this is also in this same genus, was primarily used for. Okay. Um, it had been utilized since prehistoric times by the Chinese. 
Um, and the ancient cultures would actually make parallel incisions on the tree trunks of the lacquer tree. And then they would use shells to collect the sap and then they would process it into varnish. And this is how they varnished or lacquered products for like centuries and centuries. Hmm. So a lot of the research, once the Western researchers got their hands back on poison ivy and kind of sort of delving into it, they spent more time researching the lacquer more so than its medicinal benefits. Yeah. So would the irritants be processed out of it? No. Okay. You do not want to get this lacquer on you. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Like once it dries, like if I were to lacquer this piece, yeah. Once would it was it. once it was dry, it would be right. good. But like the lacquering process, like if you were using it to lacquer something, you would want to be well, um, safetyed up before you actually used yeah. the lacquer. You would not want to come into contact with it because it was almost pure urushaw. Um, that was used for the lacquering. So highly process. irritant. Highly, highly irritant. That's why I was asking, like, if you did a piece of wood and let it dry, would that, would like rubbing on it, cause um, irritation? I'm not sure. It sounds like if it's that strong, that it might. Yeah, you would think so, but from what I what I read, um, through centuries, like they used it to to varnish everything, tables, um, hmm. chairs, anything done with wood, they would use it as a varnish for that. Interesting. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but there should be plenty of research out there. Um, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on the lacquering process because I was more interested in Mr. Dufresne's findings. Um, so after this, years later, um, research resumed on the roost plants, which is now the toxicodendrons, and a Japanese chemist, Riko Majima, was finally able to extract enough of the oil. Um, because for years, that was what they were trying to figure out, was mm -hmm. what is in this that is making such a huge difference? And, and even the French guy was, what is actually healing the leg paralysis? Yeah. What is actually healing the sores? And nobody ever knew. Well, Riko Majima of Japan was able to extract enough of the oil, pure oil, to actually put it under a microscope and examine it and tear it apart. And as it turns out, what they were after wasn't even a single compound. It was a mixture of compounds to which he was finally able to establish the exact chemical structure of the toxin, which he named urushol, from the Japanese word urushi, which means lacquer. Okay. So it, even the urushol is named after the... Mm -hmm. the lacquering process. <clears throat> so, now we're going to dive into urushaw. And there are other plants, like I mentioned, that contain it. Your your fruiting sumacs that are safe to eat do contain low levels of urushaw. And plants in the same family are going to include cashews, pistachios, and mangoes. Okay. Um, which don't contain any in the nuts, so you're not going to like get any effects from the nuts. But even there are some people, there are some cases that if you eat the skin of a mango, some people actually have a... Why would you eat the skin of a mango? I don't, it's a mild reaction. Like, it's not horrible, mm -hmm. but you do get some, like, itchiness in your mouth after eating the skin of a oh, mango. Oh, like Caroline and the kiwi? Yes, from a low, from a very low dose of urushol that is in your mouth. So it's the same, mm -hmm. same thing going on. Our six-year-old, I don't even remember what we were talking about. She just randomly one day was like, yeah, my mouth gets all, like, tingly when I eat kiwi. <laughs> and I looked at her, and I was like, maybe you shouldn't. Eat kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And that's how I learned that my kid was allergic to kiwi. Yeah. <laughs> she just... She, and she loves kiwi. She had or been maybe she lo- asked me if it was normal or if, like, it happened to other people. I don't even remember the conversation, but it came up that her mouth gets all tickly and tingly when she eats kiwi. <laughs> And was that normal? And I was like, nope, not no. normal, sweetie. That would mean you're allergic. And you she said it one time, and I was like, are you eating the fuzzy? Like, are you eating the fuzzy part? She's like, no. I'm like, oh, that ain't good. Yeah, no, because our oldest absolutely loves kiwi. Yeah. So, that's fun. Yeah. Our kid's Ross. Um, so, cashews, pistachios, mangoes, mango skin can cause a reaction in your mouth. And this is what leads us to the reason for separating out the ivy, oak, sumac, lacquer tree in the 30s was due to the higher levels of urushal in these plants. Not that the other plants didn't have it, but these were like the very toxic, mm-hmm. um, concentrated plants. Uh, so pistachios aren't going to bother you. Fruiting sumacs aren't going to bother you. And while some people get a mild soreness in their mouth after eating a mango flesh, they're generally extremely safe. Thus, your toxicodendrons are a separate genus, but remain in the same plant family as these other plants. Um, all parts of toxicodendron plants are toxic. So, when you're looking at poison ivy, the vine, the leaf, the fruit, the root, every daggum part of it is going to be eat up with the urushal. Okay. I wouldn't deal with any of it. Um, it can affect you by touching it, rubbing it. Or the worst cases that I have read about yeah, is burning it. that sounds Especially, terrible. I've heard stories, and I couldn't find any to confirm. I wanted to include one in this episode, but I couldn't find any in writing. But I have heard tales of, like, these forest fires and these firefighters putting out forest fires and inhaling smoke in areas where there was a heavy population of, say, poison ivy or poison oak and actually, like, dying from it because it gets in your lungs. Yeah, I imagine it Could causes... Could you imagine the, the outbreak in your lungs? Right. It would yeah. cause swelling and, and edema and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that just... Nope. Yeah. Nope, 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 nope. That makes my chest hurt. <laughs> Humans and some primates are the only animals that get a rash from poison ivy. In fact, many wildlife consume the plant. Um, Your dog is safe. Your cat is safe. Deer eat it. Birds eat it. Birds eat the berries. It don't bother them at all, but there, I think, and speaking to your immunity of it, I think um, the number... Are you num- calling me a dog? No. no. Okay. I'm going to a number. Just give me a second. It was around somewhere between 55 and 75% of people are not immune to poison ivy, so that's going to leave you with 25 to 35% of the population that isn't going to see any effects from your show. Okay. So you're in a, you're in a minority... You're in a vast minority. I'm um, rare. I'm you a are rare. rare. Specimen. You're a special person. You add that to my lack of wisdom teeth. <laughs> I'm glad you said teeth. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> no, the way you were your enunciations led me to believe there was not another word. I was going to argue with you we about were, it. We were talking about that this weekend, and my mom asked me um, if they had looked at how many wisdom teeth I had because I think she's only had three or whatever. And I was like, Yeah, I have none. And she was like, What? I was like, yeah, no, I have none. I know they've looked. They've asked me several times if I'm certain I've never had my wisdom teeth removed. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was a surgery that I would remember. And even my mom was like, yeah, no, I'd, I would remember if you had had your wisdom teeth removed. And I was like, nope. Hmm. X-rays show that I don't have a single wisdom tooth in my mouth. So that makes me 
peak evolution. Well, yeah, and I was about to say that. I was actually listening to a video on that recently that humans are actually evolving to not have right, wisdom because teeth. Right, because we don't so use them, which is, why, which is why we have issues with them because yeah. first our jaws um, evolve have gotten smaller. to getting smaller yes. because we don't eat raw meat anymore. And so then that made it our mouths too cramped for wisdom teeth, which mm -hmm. is why they cause so many issues and we have to get them removed. And so now we're evolving into just not having them, which yeah. is why most people don't have all four. Yeah, they, they just get a couple. They have two or three, yeah. you know, like my mom had three. And um, yeah, I apparently have zero. Yeah. None in my entire face. Um, it's a peak yeah. evolution right here. Nature knows this more than we do. This is an evolutionary specimen that you are married to. Aren't you so proud? I am. I'm proud every day. I'm going to put that on a shirt. <laughs> evolutionary specimen. I'm not allergic to poison ivy and I don't have wisdom teeth. That's going on the website tomorrow. <laughs> I've, that's happening. <laughs> Siri, remind me. Oh, I have Siri turned off. I ain't about that government line. Um... Oh, yeah. Okay, so your dog and your cat and your pets cannot... And your evolutionary specimens. And your evolutionary specimens cannot... Um, they, they do not have a reaction to the Urashaw and poison ivy. But if the oil is on those things and somebody with that reaction touches them, it can be transferred. That so, is good to know yes. from my experiments. Yes. That so, I shouldn't let you be rubbing up all on me while I've rubbed up all on yeah, me. So ivy. if you go roll around in poison ivy and then you come home with it fresh on you and touch me, I'm going to have a bad time. Why would I touch you? I don't know. Um, if your dog is walking through the woods with you. Yeah, we had that happen yesterday where she walked, uh, Grace was walking through the woods with us because she doesn't leave the kids' yeah. sides like at all. And... She walked out and the kids were like, oh no, Grace got poison ivy on her head because we found a patch of it on the creek where, you know, we were making sure the kids were all staying away from it and trying to make our way through. And yeah. because I had children that were not mind present <laughs> with me and I was like, oh, I mean, this is going to be terrible. And then she didn't have on shoes that were really good for walking in the area that we were walking in. And she had the little fluffy socks and then little straight pants. And so her ankles were exposed. Everybody else had on boots. And so I was just being very mindful of the fact that she had exposed skin and there was poison ivy seemingly everywhere. It come out of nowhere, too. Like it, it was. It was, it was just all of a sudden we were we yeah. found ourselves in a patch of ivy and couldn't get out. Like, And then the more we tried to get out of it, the more there was. Yeah. It was really scary there for a minute. But we all got out unscathed, seemingly. So, But the dog, they all watched her walk up under it and didn't like... A, we had identified a vine of it that was hanging down that we were all avoiding and the dog just walked right up under it. And so then we were all just like, <laughs> don't pet the dog until we bathe her. Um, yeah, so so the dog, like I told the kids, the dog is fine. Don't pet the dog. Yeah. Because you can't, and if you wear Hey Dudes hiking and you get in the poison ivy, wash them before you put them back on and not just wash them in the washing machine. They can survive that. What you want to do... I tried the Dawn Power Wash and then put them in the washing machine, and yeah. I don't think that helped, but they probably would need to, like, soak because yeah. of the way the fibers are woven on the Hey Dudes. You want the degreaser to get into it yeah. and to sit there and break down the oil. Um, and then I've actually heard some people say that just super high heat in the dryer works. I don't... Yeah, we tried that, too. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, use some Dawn, use some type of degreaser, use some grease lightning for all I care. 
Um, but you want to degrease those bad boys because try to imagine yourself getting cooking oil off of something. It, yeah. it takes something to get that off. And if you're going to argue with a guy on TikTok, like, you might want to know what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. He don't want none of me now. I have studied the crap out of some poison. <laughs> um, scientists believe that Urushal evolved as an antimicrobial defense mechanism for the plant and not necessarily a defense against people. So you remember what I said last week? I'm like, it's cool how nature has kind of plants that it's set aside for itself that people can't. Mm-hmm. mess with which is still kind of true but the whole purpose of it it is believed by science speculated um that it's more of an antimicrobial defense for the plant so it's I resistant think it's really high of us and arrogant to assume <laughs> that any plant evolved in a way to repel against us yeah well you know like i know we've kind of overtaken the world but we don't know how to use plants properly whereas yeah. the wildlife does so it's yeah. safer to think that these repellent mechanisms of plants like thorns and oils and secretions are yeah. probably more for insects and wildlife that eat it and yeah. do things and in more and the basis. case of poison ivy it's more so for infections of the plant uh-huh. like disease and stuff like that it's a it's a natural antimicrobial agent for the plant which means that it is antimicrobial yeah um there's just some side effects (laughs) that go with it and this is a quote from the smithsonian institution um there's an article they have called the poison ivy primer that it was so good i just kind of put the whole thing in here it says in humans contact with poison ivy causes a reaction known as a cell mediated immune response basically um, they explained that the urushal binds to proteins in the membrane of your skin cells and interferes with their ability to communicate with other cells. And it tricks your immune system into regarding your own skin cells as foreign cells. So urushal is not an irritant burning your skin. The rash is actually a result of your own immune system attacking your own skin cells. So That's it's, fun. Yeah, it's pretty deviant yeah. for a little plant. Um, 10 to 15% of people are immune to poison ivy. I did get different numbers here. I think that's kind of similar to the big problem we were having with COVID. Yeah. Is it was causing a cell mediated, not to your skin, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, really to whatever it wanted. Yeah. But the proteins uh, were attaching to cells in a way that made your own body like heightened immune system. Um, It was attacking itself. Which is why at one point, like I know they were saying that immune um deficient people needed to be careful and while yes i will still agree but also they weren't getting the big like there were studies that they weren't getting the big complications that were coming from an overactive immune system yeah that were what was damaging organs and things like that because they were immune deficient Mm -hmm. their bodies weren't able to have this heightened immune response to the covid proteins yeah this is kind of, the, kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, like I said, 10 to 15%. Some sites said 25 to 35. It varied across the board. But there are a group of people who are immune to poison ivy and will never have a rash. But this is one big disclaimer that I want to throw in there. Evolutionary specimens. Evolutionary specimens. <laughs> um, this is one uh, fact I wanted to throw in for the people that are, like myself, allergic to poison ivy. And a lot of things, like if you're allergic to peanuts, they recommend like the, you can get capsules now with extremely small doses of whatever you're allergic to so you can build up 
your resistance to that allergy. Mm-hmm. Poison ivy does not <laughs> work that way. And it's because of this response that your body is attacking itself that actually grows in time. It gets more used to seeing this thing coming into its body and it gets better at tricking your body at attacking itself. So the more you're exposed to poison ivy, the worse your rashes mm-hmm. are going to get. Um, in this article, it says repeated contact, however, will not give you immunity. In fact, it's just the opposite. The rashes get worse and worse as your immune system gets better and better at recognizing your Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So the older I get, the more careful I have to be, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I would suggest not eating poison ivy, studies have continued since then on the medicinal aspects of Urashaw. So this is not me advocating that you go out and start harvesting your poison ivy (laughs) and add it to your herb collection, but for the sake of it being extremely interesting... For information's sake. (laughs) For information's sake. There are several academic articles on PubMed that I found that have shown shown that it can suppress cell proliferation and enhance all... Anti-tumor activity in human colon cancer cells. Oh. So there's actually quite a bit of research going into this. There were several articles that I found on using it for colorectal cancer mm-hmm. um, treatment. There is a study that shows uh, that in a study on mice, that it does show some anti-inflammatory benefits using diluted urushol. So diluting it in water, like our France gentleman was doing, And it does show, when taken internally, have an anti-inflammatory effect. So this dude back in the 1700s that was Mm -hmm. demonized um, for what he was claiming, now modern research just backs... That's because the FDA knows more. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It just backs it up. (laughs) But also, I think I'll just stick with turmeric. Interestingly enough, even your popular websites like WebMD offer poison ivy benefits. Yeah. Um... Though not a lot has been studied to back it up in a lot of these aspects, when it comes to homeopathic medicine, um, it states that it has been used in extremely diluted doses to treat pain, arthritis, sprains, and even itchy skin disorders. (laughs) That's cute. I know, right? (laughs) One article... But you know, know, one of the most favorite herbs in the herbalism community kind of works the same way. Not to the extent like there's an irritant oil, mm-hmm. but stinging nettle. Yes, is um, the cure for itself. The cure for itself. Yeah. So there are there are stinging hairs on the underside of the leaf mm-hmm. that if you happen to not pay attention while you're grabbing it, you end up with you know this burst of fiery pain. Yeah. Um, but the the oils in the leaf can help soothe that irritation that it caused. Nature knows more than we do. <laughs> uh. But the stinging nettle is one of the one of the most favored um, plants. And yeah. we got some sitting, oh, absolutely. sitting up here. It's just super nutritive. and yeah. That's one of the, the fundamental plants, it yeah. seems like. Um, one article noted that sprains, strains, and cases of tendinitis that involve stiffness actually respond really well to toxicodendron. And this same study mentioned um, fibromyalgia patients having very good reactions to poison ivy as a treatment. Interesting. Yeah. Um, And the more that I dug, the more that I found on its homeopathic uses for pain due to its anti-inflammatory nature. um, 
But I will say, again, there is a, a lack of really solid research, like volume of research yeah. going into a lot of this. But from what I found, it does host in research anti-inflammatory effects. And a lot of homeopathic um, users note its use for pain and stiffness and joints and soreness and things of that nature. Interesting. Yeah. I am interested. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. I'm not going to say it's the first thing I'm going to go grab to use for something. No. But, and again, in these cases where it is used for its pain, um, when it's used for its anti-inflammatory benefits, it is heavily diluted. Like, to the point, there's almost no Urashaw in the water that it's diluted with. So, the, which makes me think, if Urashaw in this low of doses when diluted is anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, and good for soreness, um, stiffness, and things of that nature. What about these fruits that we can eat, like cashews, mangoes, that do have that low dose of urushal in them mm -hmm. that's already pre-diluted for us, or even your sumac berries. Um, so that's just, but... That is uh, yeah. um, kind of a good... I was trying to avoid using the word interesting again. Yeah, well, I mean, it just is. That's, this whole that's thing left me interested. <laughs> and that was a lot. And we're about to go into yours. But even at the end of this, like, I'm still interested yeah. in poison ivy and, like, learning more about it. Well, I really hate that there is more research on your topic than there is mine. Well, that, it, only, it only makes sense. <laughs> Why? They don't want us to fix ourselves. Oh, well, that's fair. <laughs> um, so, yeah, say you find yourself out in the woods. Now, I haven't found any in ours. Um, it doesn't mean that everywhere you find poison ivy, you will also find jewelweed. But they are typically seen grown together. Mm -hmm. And in the botanical gardens where we were, whether it was intentional or not, I don't think they botanical gardens would like intentionally but you know that that vine was very old there's yes. no way that somebody didn't know it was there from what do you dive into the the native range of jewelweed um i think so yes okay i'll let you go there i was going to throw in some tidbits about that and why you probably don't find it down here um but we'll we'll cross that bridge oh, when we get there. then you may need to help me because what i found says that it's native to most of north america from canada all the way to mexico yeah from my readings when we first found the jewelweed i, I did a pretty deep dive into not its benefits per se like you're going to dive into but its native range and historically it was native to like the pacific northwest okay and then it naturalized itself through other regions yeah. um, because it was so heavily utilized by natives and by settlers it was just kind of spread out and naturalized in these places for a long long time yeah so old enough to almost yeah, be no, considered, i found it um which is why a lot like of people a, call it native yeah like a pacific northwest as well as like all the appalachias the yes. entire southeast and eastern portion of the united states um i think there was some into mexico and then a mm -hmm. good portion of canada yeah because you get i think there's another oh, there's a couple different I would say varieties, or it might not be a different species, but varieties. I remember seeing some in Mexico, but the biggest one in North America was the um, Pacific Northwest, yeah. which you got to think a lot of things that do well in the mountains of the Pacific Northwest are going to translate really well to the Appalachians. The humidity is a little higher. Yeah, but you still get get that deep natural forest, dense forest yeah. land, high elevation. Which is why we run into it at the Botanical Gardens, and it might have been naturalized there for 
centuries. Yeah. Um, I did buy some seed. No, I didn't. I put it safe for later. I will be buying some seed. And then my we plan tried to plant is last year. Well, no, we didn't try very hard. <laughs> I bought some plugs and then we didn't treat them very well. So I'm going to plant them from seed, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to sprinkle them in the at least three areas that we've identified mm-hmm. with poison ivy, so it's present in case you end up getting irritated. Nice. But anyway, yeah, so I'm going to talk about jewelweed. Jewelweed! Um, which, again, was part of you going viral on TikTok, um, was pointing out jewelweed to help with the poison ivy, and then people were arguing about the poison ivy. <laughs> Completely took all of the <laughs> highlight off of jewelweed, which how is the internet works. how it works. Um, so another name for jewelweed is spotted touch-me-nots. Mm-hmm. I've heard touch-me-not. I've not heard yeah. spotted touch me um, a scientific name is Impatience Capensis. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Um, which is really cool because that means it's an impatient. Mm-hmm. I don't keep those alive <laughs> historically. Even the jewelweed. Even the jewelweed. Yeah. So um, very poor luck with impatience because they are impatient and low <laughs> and high maintenance. And they don't plans. like you to touch them. Nope. Um, this part of the balsam family, which mm. is also known as the touch me not family. Um, this includes, this is a very broad family, plant family, um, but the two largest groups of this family are your impatiens and hydroceps. Uh, and like I said, it was native to most of North America. It is a self-seeding annual, grows about three to five feet tall in shady areas. Uh, the name is said to come from how the dew, the name jewelweed, mm-hmm. is said to come from how the dew or rain beads on the leaves creating this like sparkling jewel jewel like droplets um as well as the jewel toned color of the flowers which are like this really pretty vibrant um not really like a bright orange but like a like a deep orange yeah i get that and rumor has it that if you go to the woods at night where there is a high population of jewel weed they actually sing jewel's greatest hits that was not a good joke. That was wonderful. That was not a good joke. <laughs> it was magnificent. Um, some varieties are yellow and red, but the orange variety is going to be mm-hmm. like your... Now, yeah, like what you were saying, it's so orange, it's almost pink. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of the orange that it's it is. It's not bright orange like an orange the yeah. fruit is. It's a very deep, what I would like, you know, jewel tones yeah. are deep. Yeah. tones of those colors like your garnet is a deep red mm-hmm. um your amethyst is a deep purple like those sapphires a deep blue like your jewel tones are just typically deep yeah. tones and so when we talk about when i mention it being jewel toned and it's an orange flower it's just a very deep not a red orange but it's just a deep orange is the <laughs> only way i know how to explain it um See, and they're they're trumpet shaped flowers with like brownish reddish spots on the inside, mm-hmm. kind of like like a foxglove or something like that would be, um, which is why it's known as a spotted touch me not. The name touch me not comes from um, the secondary petalous flowers. So there are the flowers, but then there's also these other quote flowers that don't have any petals. That's what forms the seed pods, mm-hmm. and just the slightest touch to these seed pods when they're ready makes them explode and that's how they spread their seeds like they 
<laughs> Same. Oh, no. <laughs> I tried not to even go there this episode, but that was... You didn't try <laughs> even a little bit. I only said one word. Okay. Um, there is a variety native to Asia. That's the Impatiens balsamina. And that can be found in ancient literature. It's a pink, purple, um, or white flowers. Um, and that's what's been used in traditional Chinese medicine for rheumatism, fractures, swelling, bruises, as well as um, they made a soak for bacterial and fungal infections. And this is where most of my like research and information was discussing the Asian variety yeah. because it was used that in makes sense. traditional Chinese medicine. Um, in Japan, the seeds from the um, impatiens balsamina was used to suppress childbirth pains, as well as as an emetic, diuretic, laxative, and um, when it was taken internally. And in other areas, they used the leaves um, applied to burns to help with healing. Yeah. Um, now, it is edible, as well as medicinal, but, I mean, it's not known for its culinary yeah, or edible like, uses. I found some jewelry to eat. Right. And I, what I was just researching, that balsamic vinegar has nothing to do with the balsam no. plants. I was just trying to correlate, and there's none there. Okay. <laughs> it's made with grapes. It has nothing to do with balsamic now anything. Now Elmo's voice is in my head. What? Balsamic vinegar. <laughs> What? You mean the TikTok video, the TikTok trend with Elmo's voice talking about the ingredients, the balsamic vinegar? Oh, I've not heard that. No? Are you not on that side of TikTok? <laughs> I don't guess now so. Now I have to find it. Uh, no, it's... no, it's too late now. It has yeah. to happen. Do you... Oh, no, we're going there? Yeah, we have to. You've not heard <laughs> it. Balsamic vinegar. Is that a good Elmo? Uh, no. It sounds good to my headphones. Oh, gosh. No, I want I want the the trend. Oh, look, but that's why, because it's gross stuff. But it tastes good when it's put out together. Okay, good. Onions, garlic. Onions, garlic, celery, balsamic vinegar. That's a big loaf, Elmo. That's a big loaf, Elmo. You've not had that pop up on your TikTok. Oh, we're jamming. No, I have not. Sorry. I've never. Apparently, uh, closing TikTok told my Spotify to play. <laughs> No. I, balsamic vinegar. That's a big word for Elmo. Yeah. Anyway, so balsamic vinegar is just using the entire grape in your vinegar. It's also a big word for Elmo. It's also a big word for Elmo. It Emma. has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, so <laughs> tangent. Um, whoop, I scrolled. We need a sound for that. Tangent, tangent, tangent. Nope, not that. So yeah, it is edible. The seeds taste kind of like walnuts, but they're like teeny, teeny, tiny. So like, I want to know how somebody <laughs> discovered <laughs> how somebody discovered that they tasted like walnuts because they're so small. It tastes like a walnut. <laughs> the ants told us. <laughs> the flowers make a beautiful addition to summer salads, which I can see. It can, yeah, that would be yeah. beautiful. Some edible like flowers are really great. Deep green, like romaine. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yep. Um, their color reminds me a lot of like nasturtiums or like this deep red orange. Yeah. I was going to tell you what the color reminded me of, but that's going to spoil my next episode. So 
But I wouldn't have known that if you hadn't have told me. No, you did. I ruined it. You Sorry. did. Yeah. You could have just told me, hey, the color reminds me of this plant. And I would have had zero idea that that was... I would have forgotten about it in 30 minutes. No, I want to, and I can't. To talk about okay, anyway. <sighs> we'll talk about it in the next episode. You'll say, this is what reminds me of jewelweed. Yeah. Um, however, young leaves and stems should be cooked thoroughly and eaten in moderation because they have high levels of selenium and calcium oxalate. And calcium, one, selenium is really good for um, anti-inflammatory and immune system stuff. Mm -hmm. But obviously, like any mineral, you can get too much. Calcium oxalate is what causes kidney stones. Yes. is a buildup of calcium oxalate. So um, you want to cook them thoroughly. It's going to help cook out some of those minerals. But you also want to eat, if you're eating jewelweed leaves for your salad, um, in moderation. Because overeating them is going to give you kidney stones. And pair with some lemons. Yeah. Um, it also has a laxative effect. And a beer. Yeah. Native Americans made note that jewelweed could be found near poison ivy and stinging nettle. And found that the juices from the plants soothe skin irritation from these plants. Um, and that is its most known use. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, this is one of the first plants that we kind of learned about. Um... Yeah, you rubbed it all over me that day. I did, Just yeah. Just like spanked the leaves and yep. rubbed them on me and it worked. It only had, I don't think I would have been able to find it if it didn't have that one, and they're tiny flowers, but it had one little orange flower yep. at the top of it that I saw coming down the bottom of that hill. And then I looked at the leaves and realized, mm -hmm. yes, this is what it was. And then we were able to find it, you know, all over the place. Elsewhere. Um, but yeah, we, I poulticed up some leaves really quick and rubbed it all Show over you. Um... Not only to treat poison ivy rashes, but they would rub down with the leaves prior to going into areas with known exposure to prevent irritation. Oh. Um, so not just as a treatment, but as a preventative. As that's how the Native mm. lots of Native Americans, um, because like I said, it's kind of um, this plant is native to a lot of North America. Yeah. So you have a very wide range, not just specific to the Cherokee. It's a lot most. Native American tribes used this plant for that purpose. Hmm. Um, but then we get into the research. Ooh, interesting. In, in 1999, a patent was issued to Bryant Albert for his poison ivy remedy. Um, this remedy was a mixture that was mostly jewelweed, but with some plantain and oatmeal. Which that sounds, sounds marvelous. Marvelous. <laughs> and like a really good soap yeah. recipe for... For um, poison that. ivy irritation, yeah. Um, a peer review research shows that jewelweed for skin irritations, including fungal conditions like ringworm and athlete's foot. One study compared leaf extracts at 100%, 50%, and 25%, all being effective against candida, which is a yeast infection. So even just small dosage of jewelweed is very antifungal. Hmm. Some studies have looked at the main compound found in jewelweed leaves that shows cytotoxicity in certain cancers. There's a peptide that was isolated from jewelweed. What was that? Uh, being a, a weightlifter, the word peptide just... Y'all, he like snatched back and cocked his head at me like, no, what did you just say? I've been studying peptides. Okay. So it's interesting. Anyway, this one peptide is isolated from jewelweed shows effective antimicrobial properties when activated with poison, not poison ivy, <laughs> hydrogen peroxide. 
basically the same. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I don't know where that came from. So, no, peptides are very interesting, and I've been doing a lot of reading on those. I was interested to see okay. where it went. Okay. Uh, several in vivo studies showed several isolated vitamin P. No vitamin P. You remember what that was? No. So disappointing. <laughs> Flavonoids. That, I was about to say that. That have um, allergy preventive effects. Hmm. Uh, one study isolated camphorol, which I think is, I meant to look it up, a leading uh, component in calamine lotion. Yeah. Um, but anyway, camphorol comes from the petals, and it was observed reducing scratching behavior in mice with atopic dermatitis. A 2013 study reported that a water extract of balsamina leaves, uh, and now this is the Asian variety, had analgesic and anti-inflammatory properties. A 35% alcohol extract, so a tincture, um, of the Asian variety jewelweed um, petals show significant anti-anaphylactic anti activity, which is anaphylactics, mm -hmm. what you get mm -hmm. when you can get highly allergic to something like peanuts, um, and anti-inflammatory properties. Um, somehow, given all the historical evidence of jewelweed, historical evidence like with your native americans and such um using jewelweed for urushiol contact dermatitis research has not been able to produce significant evidence to scientifically prove that jewelweed works against poison ivy from what i can tell most of these studies looked at specific compounds for these effects um, so they isolated a specific compound out of jewelweed and used it against urushiol and weren't able to conclude that it did anything. Yeah. Like there were, and I mean, I looked at these studies. They yeah. legit didn't find anything. Yeah. There, there were pictures of rashes and comparing different treatment methods. Hmm. And the compound that they isolated out of jewelry just wasn't really doing anything. Hmm. Um, I did find a study in 2012 in the Journal of Ethnopharmacology that looked to replicate dermatitis prevention in the way the Native Americans used it. So it stated that the key to their study was a realistic simulation of poison ivy exposure, which enabled them to conclude... So this is like they didn't just isolate the urushol yeah. and cause dermatitis with that. They didn't just isolate this one compound from jewelweed because that's not how we're using it in the wild. Yeah, We're rubbing up on some poison ivy and then we're rubbing up on some, like, the plant matter. Mm-hmm. When they did it this way, they were able to conclude the same results that Native Americans when they used um, jewelweed to reduce the dermatitis caused by poison yeah. ivy. So what you're getting at is we don't know how it works. Right. It just does. Clearly it doesn't work the way that they were trying to replicate <laughs> yeah. it working. Other studies looked at the saponins present in jewelweed as being responsible for its effect on, effects on poison ivy rashes. This study compared several methods. I think there were six. And what they did is they took somebody's arms and they, you know, kind of like you would go to the doctor and get an allergy yeah. spot test. 
rubbed poison ivy and then they drew graphs around it. And in one square, you would treat it with this. And one square, mm -hmm. you would treat it with this. And then you would have your control square. Anyway, like that. And they had six different squares where they had six different, well, five different treatment methods and one control method. And then they compared the rash in those areas. Mm -hmm. Um... This study compared, yeah, so they included soap, um, a tincture, and then just plain plant mash with the tincture and jewelweed soap performing the best on a patch test system. Um, so the constituents that you have present in jewelweed, you have, like I mentioned, the camphorol that's found in the petals. This is also found in dark leafy greens like broccoli, spinach, and kale and cannabis. It's anti-inflammatory, cardio, and neuroprotective. Um, so then you have Lawson, and Lawson is the main compound found in jewelweed leaves, and it's antihistamine and anti-inflammatory properties. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, this is the main compound that they were extracting to fight the urushol. Mm -hmm. They were extracting the Lawson and they're extracting the urosol, and they were... The antihistamine Yes. Compound. Yeah, which, which you would think that it would work. Which makes sense that it doesn't work. Now knowing what we know about urosol is it's not mm -hmm. necessarily an allergic reaction to right. a thing. Yeah. It's the body reacting to itself. Yes. Um, so then you've also got the peptides, some quinine, saponins. And saponins, if we remember, we've talked about those in several different things. That's what gives... It's going to suds. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a yeah. soapy type... Um, compound. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the only way to get rid of the urushol is, as it's an oil, is to get a degreaser or really mm -hmm. good soap. And so now they're looking at maybe it's not a specific compound or maybe it's a combination of the compounds yeah. that, makes more that sense. is able to break down the urushol while also relieving the irritation. Mm -hmm. um, which may be why making jewelweed into a soap and kind of exaggerating the saponin quality mm -hmm. makes it work so well. Oh, yeah. Um, there are, like I said, flavonoids such as apigenin and luteolin, which also have antihistamine effects. Quercetin is highly antioxidant. Um, and then there's also phenolic acids and coumarins, which coumarins are present in a lot of your dark leafy greens. Um, like we mentioned, this has similar mm -hmm. compounds to kale and broccoli mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So those are just things that you want to be careful with. Um, if you are on a blood thinner like coumarin, coumadin, um, because those things are oh, yeah. blood thinning qualities are going to make it worse. Um, energetics of jewelweed, it's cooling, moistening, and a tonic. Um, its actions include its antihistamine action as well as its anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial, specifically antifungal. It is diuretic and cathartic as well as emetic. So how to use jewelweed, you can rub the sap from the stem or the leaves onto skin irritation. And this isn't just poison ivy. We mentioned stinging nettle. Mm -hmm. um, it would be really good for a bug bite, stings, any, any kind of skin irritation. Yeah. It's going to work well. Um, an oil infusion, you, you know, would infuse the leaves into an oil, and that's how you would use it for soaps or balms. You can extract with witch hazel or alcohol for topical use. So this is going to make, um, from what I can best tell, using a tincture topically is what we call liniment. Liniment. <laughs> liniment. This cute. What? This cute. 
That's what this is. I can't think of the spelling. Liniment. 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 Yeah. And so this is just a tincture. So it's just an alcohol yeah. extraction, but you use it topically. Mm -hmm. Like you would a balm or something. It's called a lin liniment. Um, you can make a concentrated and reduced infusion, which means obviously very, very concentrated. Mm -hmm. And then you boil it down to reduce it. So you're going to boil it until you have like a small amount left and then it's super concentrated. Um, and freeze it into ice cubes. And then mm. if you, that's a great way to store your jewelweed. That sounds very soothing as Doesn't well. Doesn't it? I Can know. you imagine having a, a poison ivy rash and just pulling out an ice cube of jewelweed and rubbing it? That sounds very soothing. So jewelweed ice cubes can be applied to irritation and provide cooling relief. Ooh, that sounds... I would do that without poison ivy. <laughs> you get a lot of skin irritations, so... Yeah. Jewelweed should be my best friend. It should be. Yeah. We'll have to get them seeds. Yeah. It's in my, in my cart, my Etsy cart. Nice. But yeah. That's what I got. I was a little disappointed to find, which I mean, once I actually got into, it took a lot of digging um, to really answer the lack of research. Like, yeah. and it wasn't lack of research. That's the wrong terminology. Um, lack of evidence yeah. backing what we know it's used for. Like we personally have used jewelry yeah. for this So have thing. many, many people throughout many, many centuries. But then scientific research wasn't able to duplicate that. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't just because they haven't done the research, it's they've done the research and the research doesn't show any benefit yeah. compared to, like I read these articles, they really yeah. didn't show any results. Um, there was no benefit. But methodology, again, is very important. Yeah. If you are trying to treat something with something and you extract the wrong compound. Yeah. Like that's trying to use Tylenol for a fever and you extract like the anti-caking agent. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you just got to have a human guinea pig and do it the old fashioned way. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like somewhere along the line, scientific research became king, yeah. which I get. Um, my practice is driven by evidence base, but we also can't negate what thousands of years mm -hmm. of use and documented use have taught it. Like, obviously, there is a reason that it worked, or they wouldn't have continued yeah. to use it that Just way. Just because we can't figure out the reason don't mean right. that there's not a reason. They used it for a purpose. They mm -hmm. continued to use it for that purpose, which means it worked for that purpose. There's, there's, there's a reason why. Oh, yeah. You know... And somewhere along the way, scientific research negated anecdotal research. Yep. Well, cool. I think we're more aware of the interestingness of poison ivy and jewelweed You now. do that at the end of every episode. <laughs> wow, I learned so much more about jewelweed today. Well, we did. <laughs> did we not? That's the funnest part of the podcast for me. Yep. I love learning. I'm learning as we go. Yeah. And if you would like to continue learning as you go, you can continue to check out our podcast or you can find us on all of our other branches of social media. Um, you can find our main website at trees-in-weeds.com. You can contribute and check out content on our Patreon at patreon.com slash weeds. You can find us both um, on Instagram and TikTok. 
You can find the podcast on Instagram at ntbow, which is Native Trees in a Bag of Weeds. Um, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at your boy Jared Wade. And you can find my girl Messy at Messy underscore living. Yeah, so we are all over the place. And I have started doing, it hasn't gone well. I don't have a good video set up. Um, but I had an idea to do what I call messy attempts, mm-hmm. um, which is just kind of a not funny pun, but I think it's cute. <laughs> and, um, that's me finding it, The goal was to do like herbal remedy recipes that I found on Pinterest, but really all it's been so far is like food recipes, which is fine because I get to try <laughs> all the attempts. <laughs> And the goal was for it to be a YouTube series, but I don't have the storage space for that length of videos before I can edit them and put them on YouTube. Um, so they've just been TikTok videos oh, yeah. so far. Um, but yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Well, cool beans. Well, until next time, nature knows more than we do. <sighs> I just got to learn about it. <laughs> that was bad timing on that. Yeah, know. it was.